Hey, this is the Third Coin Podcast, insight into the past, present, and future of blockchain, crypto, NFTs, and Web3 technology. This program is hosted by Grant Cermak, Dan Mueller, and myself, Louis May. You might say this is a series of discussions, interviews, questions, answers, opinions, and maybe some conversation about what is the third coin. Welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. My name is Lewis May. Grant, how are you? Excellent, thanks. Awesome. Dan, what's up? What's happening? Uh, staying busy as usual. Good. Seems like you have changes to your facial hair going on there. Oh yeah, I'm having a lot of fun with the, the mustache. I thought this was a um, handlebar, but apparently it's a horseshoe. My, my wife sent me a chart of all the different mustache types and educational. Are you adding like a little bit of black, like Sharpie to that to really make- No, I got some gray. Thing? There's some gray in, in one of, one side or the other. I forget which, oh, but- the gray, yeah. the gray in a beard is just plain yeah. cool. Yeah, definitely. Today, we're gonna discuss layer one versus layer two. Uh, on the blockchain. And then I thought we'd also kind of start, uh, as I did my research on that, I saw that that can kind of go into the direction of discussing proof of stake versus proof of work and in, into a whole nother uh, realm of like what, because I think it'll be fun to start talking about like what other people think is going to be the third coin and what those technologies are, because I know that you guys have some, some educated opinions on what others are doing as far as those, that space goes. So, yeah, I think to jump in just a, a bit on Please. the topic in, in general, uh, blockchain scalability is sort of the general term that you want to think about when you're considering layer one versus layer two. Because it's all about scalability, how much throughput you can get through a system. And that's incredibly important for blockchains, right? I mean, uh, if you think about like how many transactions Visa does or how many transactions happen in the financial world with respect to ACH or SWIFT, these are payment types you know, that you may be familiar with. ACH is where you do some kind of bank-to-bank -bank transfer. SWIFT is where you do an international transfer. And there have been cryptos that have approached the idea of replacing these things or replacing payments in general. And so when you think about blockchain and their ability to operate as a currency or as a substitute for these things, scalability is very important. And so this is where layer one scalability, you can talk about different blockchain projects that have different scalability factors. And then layer two is how can you increase this throughput and what are the techniques for being able to do that? So. That's, okay. I think, important for us to consider is just the whole idea of scalability. Well, and, and from my readings, and I've got it up right here because I can't remember everything perfectly. Newsflash. They speak of, or somebody brought up the idea of the scalability trilemma. And in, in, in that, from this visual representation of a triangle, the closer you move to scalability, the farther you move away from security and or decentralization. So it's like you have these three different foundational ideas, one being security, one being decentralization, and one being scalability, but you can't have all, you have to choose two out of the three. Is that, am I thinking of that in the right way from what I understand? Um, yes, to some extent. I, I think that there are 
technologies and blockchains that are trying to find the right mix between those. And this is where what you had mentioned right away about proof of stake and centralization. The more centralized you have something, the faster it can be. You only have one place where you have to keep track of anything. Okay. That's just plain logic right there. Once you said it that way. So could you, you know, can you explain in simplest terms, Dan, go, shoot, what, what is proof of stake? I don't get that at all yet. You know, I know what it is and I still don't get it. It's a, uh, I, I think it's <clears throat> kind of a scam to be honest, but it's a scam that a lot of people are into. If you have a whole bunch of tokens, you can agree to lock them up and <clears throat> then you get voting rights and you get paid more of the same scam coin. I think that's what Ethereum's doing and a bunch of other projects are into that. I, 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 I understand how it works I, it's to some degree. I think Grant could probably give a better explanation. Is that because you're a fan of decentralization. It's a scam because it, it empowers people who already have all the coins and it's, there's no motivation for a little guy to get in. To the central bank then. Exactly. Let's just give the, um, yeah. The, Let's just give all half of 51% of the Bitcoin to the central bank and to the Rockefeller or the, you know, all those guys and boom, we'll right. be right back where we used You just to. described Ethereum. Okay. Okay. And that's, so that sounds somewhat like the DOA then, because you have the token, yeah. the DAO, and then you get to vote based on what you want, based on how many tokens you have. Well, okay. Proof of stake is a different consensus mechanism. So consensus mechanisms are ways at which the next block can be created. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's a different kind. So we have proof of work, we have proof of stake. There are other types of consensus mechanisms that we can consider in, in all of what we're talking about with respect to different kinds of blockchain technologies. Okay. So proof of stake says that the way that you can create the next block is by those who have some stake in the overall coin landscape, right? So if you have a lot of tokens, you sort of don't want the chain to, you know, fall down or, or get bad or have a poor thing. So it's saying, if you have a financial incentive in this system, because you have a lot of these tokens, if you lock them up in a certain way, then we're going to allow your particular machine to farm the next or mine the next block. So that's what proof of stake means in a nutshell. And I think with Ethereum, it's something like a million dollars or, you know, something thereabouts. I, I don't remember exactly what the number is currently. If you have that all grouped together, then are you guaranteed the next block or then you are one of the people who could, one of the groups who could be still mining the next block? It's not a guarantee that you're going to get the next block. It's you're one of, of a vanishingly small number of nodes that could produce the next block. Is and that so you're then dependent on CPU capabilities? Or so I'm speaking, a... I'm speaking of this in general terms, like each proof of stake coin has its own particular eccentricities in the way that these things you know, work. And so we would have to be speaking about a very specific coin to, or, or blockchain technology to really be able to dig into the details on this. But that's just the general idea is that it's another type of consensus mechanism. And that proof of stake is much more centralized than very decentralized blockchain technologies. So could you, let's dive right into that then. Do you, can you speak knowledgeably about a, a particular coin that is using proof of stake? Like I, I looked up like Algorand is one of them, right? 
You know, I it's hard to be an expert in every single thing that <laughs> exists. Uh, I would say let's, I mean, if we want to dive deep into one of these, uh, we could do that uh, maybe in a subsequent, uh, okay. you know, yeah, I need podcast, to for that. Uh, where I would come with a lot of details and we could speak about it coherently. I think for the sake of a lot of people who would be tuning into this, we've given the broad brush strokes. And I, I think keeping on the topic of centralization and, and decentralization and scalability, th this helps everybody to understand what you're sort of getting into. When you're in a very centralized system, it means that the control is not at the broad level, which is what the whole idea of Bitcoin really was. It was to have this decentralized, uh, trustless infrastructure. Proof of stake sort of flips that on its head. I mean, you're not really building anything new by doing that. What you've brought into the mix is the cryptographic nature of blockchain technology. The fact that you have verifiability and that you have you know, cryptographically sound sort of technology, right? But what you've done is you've taken some of that inherent desirability of blockchain technology, and you took out the other very inherently desirable part of the technology, which is the decentralized nature of it. So you kept the security, you got rid of the decentralized, and you added scalability. You gave up even some of the security, though, because you've given the trust to a very small number of... Aha. Uh -huh potentially corruptible entities got it which is because why. you can't because you can't necessarily inherently trust somebody who has a lot of power so the that, real crypto punks are not a fan of proof of stake then uh, i don't think so i mean i can't imagine that anyone would be a fan of that if they're sort of into the old bitcoin ethos i I, I can't imagine that anybody's super excited about. And so last part of this, and then we'll go back to the level one, level two. So it has Ethereum moved to proof of stake yet, or is that something that they're planning on? Is this that thing that's coming up that they're planning on forking into or change? Or it's, it's still upcoming. What's happening right now is they're sort of running a parallel implementation on Ethereum. Ethereum has its standard proof of work going on where, you know, GP, people using GPU mining nodes are able to produce the next block. But in parallel, they're seeing if they can run this whole proof of stake idea with less energy and a limited number of validator nodes. So I, it's been a while since I looked into this because they've been saying that ETH, this is 2.0, ETH 2.0. Yep. So I, I just looked and they're predicting uh, 2022 and I did check it's still 2021. Okay. So that's predicted next year, but they've been saying that since 2016. So it's kind of like the Bitcoin uh, lightning network. And that was vaporware for quite a while. I guess it's finally going, but so I, I'm sure Ethereum will finally get to out the door, but. So is that going to be a layer, like lightning is layer two, right? Yeah. Is, is ETH2 going to be layer two on top of ETH1? No. No, no. If they're planning on forking or completely doing an all out, what is it called when you don't fork where everybody agrees to do that and it's a, a soft, soft. A soft, a soft fork is where you bring new functionality in without it with that's backwards compatible with the old technology so that you don't require all of your participants in the network to upgrade to the new thing a hard fork is where you have make a change where everybody has to upgrade or you sort of split the chain in two those who don't upgrade to the new thing are left behind or you can even end up in a situation where you have two versions of the chain competing with each other 
producing altering weights and that's the worst possible scenario for so that's any... why they're going so slow with these two then is they have to make sure that this actually takes well, that's, that's prudent in software anytime you do anything okay. in software is you're planning an upgrade testing it thoroughly is a good thing so sure. the fact that it takes a long time or that bitcoin moves slowly i think the people who are involved in these technologies have a good sense of the fact that they have a lot of responsibility and making changes to this stuff. So I wouldn't like hard fault the Ethereum community for moving slowly, nor the Bitcoin community for moving sure. slowly. But they have to like decide like they, what, when they do this, they have to have a silent consent. There's no voting. Not in this one. Cause remember Ethereum is moving from a very decentralized infrastructure to a very centralized one. So they only have to get agreement from the people who are actually going to be able to run these staked nodes. Okay. That's it. But if, so if it, the problem else... goes, the problem goes from millions of computers or hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands, however many nodes are running in the Ethereum network. They don't have to get all of those guys to upgrade because essentially they're going to leave all those guys behind. Everyone if they don't been... upgrade, they'll just get left behind. Well, the chain will stop unless somebody picks up the code and removes the, what is it called, the difficulty bomb from Ethereum. Okay. Then so the way Ethereum is going to work is there's a date or a block or whatever, at which point the difficulty goes to infinity or something close to that, at which point you will not be able to mine another block on that chain. Now, that's just code. You can fork that code just like Binance did, just like a whole bunch of other projects did and made copies of Ethereum. So if the proof of work folks want to say, hey, we're the real, this, these fakers that are doing this proof of stake thing, and I wouldn't be surprised to see this happen because yeah, it's already it split. Yeah, sure it's going to happen. There's got to be fans of real crypto or the original idea of decentralized agreements that are planning this right now. Like, there's no way we're going to do that. And when this happens, we're hoping to be, have our code ready to, what do you call it, de-bomb <laughs> Is that a real term? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I thought you just made it up. I said difficulty bomb. Difficulty bomb. Un, un difficulty bomb. Remove the difficulty bomb. <laughs> D bomb. D bomb. We called it D bomb. I, I coined a new phrase. Very. I, yeah. You're gonna have to look and see if you got the you got the early yeah, yeah, on that one. Uh, okay. I, I was I just looked this up since you mentioned it because I I had no idea how many different Ethereum nodes there were, but um, just just a quick uh, search. We're, we're only talking about 11, 12,000 nodes. According to ethernodes.org, there's only 11,259 Ethereum nodes currently active as of December 2020. There's other new stuff here in September 9th, just a couple months ago. Ethereum's lost 6,500 nodes in the last uh, two weeks. These are computer systems that went offline, lost nodes, meaning they're no longer mining or calculating transactions for people. When they say nodes, they mean, yes, computers that process but, transactions. But remember, only one node ends up doing the work per block. Everybody else sort of did the exact same work, and they, they didn't get their, their work was wasted. That's yep. what so proof of work means. 11,000 are doing that, and so 10,999 were running the whole... That means if, the, if it's a, a node is online, that means it's running, trying to mine, yes. right? Yep. And yes. so 10,999 wasted the last X amount of time 
trying to and all really all the electricity required to power those graphics cards, CPUs, and everything else. Yeah, I mean, yes. how how Very often wasteful. is a new Ethereum mined? With each, how many Ethereum with each node? Pretty quickly. Let me check that. Dan, thanks for being. I like that you're the. Uh, I'm looking all this stuff up as we talk, guy. I should do it faster though. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah. I, last time I looked this, it, the problem is I've got the 51st States memory. I can look something, I'm Dory from, uh, you know, I can look something up and then I forget, you know, a week or whatever, but yeah. So it's what I'm seeing right now is about 15 seconds on average. Does that sound right, Grant? About 5,760 blocks a day. New I, Ethereum block? You guys keep asking me these questions about <laughs> intimate details. I don't even like yeah. Ethereum. Why would I know? I don't either. I hate Ethereum. Per unit time. I, Multiple Honestly, sources. I spent like a year working inside Ethereum and I swore I would never spend another moment of time uh, <laughs> working on this stupid project again. I, I'm like not an Ethereum fan. I'm sorry. I just don't no, know that's the all right. details. That's alright. Yeah. It's fun to ask you these questions anyways. <laughs> Grant, because it shows that you're just another good old human that can only, he's, he's definitely can a only human. remember what you're actually working to remember and don't, don't right. have uh, infinite access to anything you've ever seen. In your yeah, so I can I can see where people got excited about ETH initially because you know with with Bitcoin you get a new block every ten minutes and then to make sure that somebody isn't going to reverse it or a fifty one percent attack or something people would okay you really trust it after five or six confirmations which well that's an hour right yeah so. Uh, in Ethereum, average time is 10 to 19 seconds on one, you know, it's, it varies, but it's, sure. it's a hell of a lot faster. And as well, um, I, point, the things, the things that, the things that turned me off about Ethereum was it's an inflationary coin. I mean, it's like, they just kept cr creating new ones. It's like, how can that hold value as a, as a guy who is kind of, you know, against the federal reserve and us dollar and fiat and just the continued erosion of value and currency. I looked at Ethereum and I'm like, how in the world would you ever want to hold this coin? It's like holding Dogecoin. How much Dogecoin is minted per unit time? It's like some astronomical amount. For it to hold value, you have to have so much money flowing in to like want to continue to buy that token. It's I, I just don't understand half of these projects personally. I don't understand how they can have any value. Well, and that, I think you saying that shows how we are still so early, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, the technology adoption life cycle or the technology adoption curve and how you have the innovators and the early adopters and the innovators are literally only 2.5% of the population and every type of adoption of Sounds technology high. or knowledge or anything is generally falls into a bell curve like everything else, you know, that has behavior. I, I had no idea it was this bad. I mean, Bitcoin, the max supply is 21 million Bitcoins, but Ethereum, there is no max supply, like Grant just said, and, but they do limit the max per year to 18 million new Ethereums per year. Yeah, they're, they're toilet paper. They should be, but they're like <laughs> so, I mean, 4,000 bucks a piece right now or it, something. It's, it's crazy. because literally people, how many people are into the crypto market that didn't know what we just told you in the last Most of them. five minutes? Most, Most of them. them. And that's yeah. why I bring up the tech adoption curve, because we're at the very beginning of the innovators where there's a bunch of people getting into this who have absolutely no idea what they're doing. And if they did, they probably would start making better decisions. Which I, I don't... I, wait, you know, wait a minute. Let's yeah, just yeah, be clear right. about something here. <laughs> just, because, just because I say this is how it is, 
and this is how it should be. It doesn't mean you won't make gobs of money oh, doing yeah. the opposite of what I'm talking about. Uh, yes. So <laughs> let, let's just be 100% clear. I have looked at, this is, this is funny because sometimes Dan and I will have this conversation mm -hmm. and you're not here, but we will in the future. I will talk about something I think is the stupidest thing ever. And basically the rule of thumb is if I say it's really dumb, you I should buy go some. buy it. I buy it that <laughs> day. You buy it that day. Fucking yeah, I definitely buy it. Earlier well, this year, I told earlier this year, I looked at a project. So I looked at Sheeb token, right? I'm like, this is so stupid. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Here's the what? idea for Sheeb token. Let's make the most tokens we possibly can. Let's just create as many as possible, like the highest max int number of tokens. And then it'll trade at almost nothing until it doesn't. And then we'll all get rich. That was basically the whole idea behind Sheeb token. And I told Dan about this. I'm like, hey, look at this. This is dumb. And we started talking about shit coins, you know, just these stupid tokens that people chase for no good reason that add no value at all. And they get rich because they 10x, they 100x, they 1000x. And so if you could put some amount of money in there, I mean, it's like the trade of the century. I think yeah. somebody put like $8,000 into Sheeb token in a very early phase. And it's worth something like 15 billion on paper. Now, the question is, how much money would actually flow into Sheeb token for that guy to liquidate all of his holdings? How much could he actually sell? But $8,000, you don't have to hold, sell a whole lot to get your $8,000 back, but to get your 15 billion, you do have to have $15 billion in new money chase your sales. And the fact of the matter is that probably won't, you know, when you when you see these things and they say, what's the market cap of this token? And they say the last trade price is the value of this times the total supply. That is not a genuine way to value so the what real, that market cap is. The real money, is. money making thing here then is having one of these things having this 15 billion on paper and then going to a bank who doesn't quite understand all of this stuff and getting a note of on your asset <laughs> i guess that that's that's you can find the, that bank let me know i want an account there wait a minute wait a minute those banks do exist damn they're called DeFi. Exactly. i mean Okay, so now we, now enters decentralized finance, and you could take these tokens, which Wait, ascent. Before we go there, I just want to point out the last shitcoin you told me about is up. It was up, well five minutes ago. It was up forty three percent, and now it's only up forty percent. So volatile, but it's forty percent. And and yesterday it was down thirty percent. So, uh, and that particular shitcoin is Floki Inu. Yeah, sorry. Oh, come DeFi. on, it's not. I, I, if we could avoid it, well, they're just lotto podcast, tickets. They're scratch the next, off tickets you buy when you're drunk. I for mean, the next little while, I think we could avoid shilling shit. <laughs> oh, I, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, all right. I'm not shilling. Okay. Maybe I was. And watch, watch. Someone buy Floki this, so I can sell. After this podcast, there'll be this huge spike in Floki buying. Well, like in three you. months when people actually see it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, DeFi, go. So, okay, enter DeFi, right? Now Now we have the true, like, uh, you know, ridiculous thing built on top of all the cryptocurrency that's going on. So in DeFi, what you can do is you can go give your tokens to somebody else and they will give you something else for the sake of holding it. So you can think about these like kind of certificates of deposit. Uh, that might be something that more people are familiar with it, probably in this day and age a lot of people even aren't familiar with that so i'll just start by giving a brief de definition of what a certificate of deposit is so banks your traditional bank if you go to them and you give them a certain amount of money and you say i'm willing to have you sort of have 
control of my money for a period of time, I will pay you a certain amount of interest. Okay. So a certificate of deposit would typically be six months, a year, two years, something like that. The longer you give the bank a hold on your money that you can't get access to it, it's yep. sort of locked so that the bank can use it for lo loans and lending and whatever, then they'll pay you an interest rate that's higher than the normal depository interest rate. Now, most people have never gotten an interest rate on any of their deposits, and they certainly wouldn't put their money into a certificate of deposit because they probably are going to get some pittance. Because banking well, we used, used to, I mean, we all come from the time where you actually had a- Well, you're an old motherfucker, not me. <laughs> where I got 3% interest on it. And I got no, no, interest. I I agree. I I'm okay. about the same age. So I, I remember yeah. when I would get an interest rate on the deposits, <laughs> but you're making me feel old, man. Hey, I, like I got a gotta, credit union. Even now, I get like, I, oh, okay, I got an extra penny. You know, I got fucking five hundred bucks in there. I get like a penny a month or some shit. It's crazy. Now, when I who does I that? Just opened an I. You, do you guys have an Allied account yet? Because I have an Allied bank account, Ally, because that's mm -hmm. the only one that I can I can transfer money into there just like that. And then I can credit crypto, just like that. And no uh, ally bank sponsoring this podcast. Yeah. Shit, yeah we got to work that, that angle. Yeah, that's a good one. So ally was giving me 3% for a little while. Nice. It was crazy. Yeah. I was yeah. like, oh, all right. Not that I had any significant. Well, Hey money. man, if you want to make money on a fixed rate, I, there's, there's a T bill you can buy. That's getting like 7%. I mean, it's crazy. I've never seen a T bill that got 7%, but like, okay. anyway, yeah. Now, so uh, the now sponsors, now sponsored by the U S government selling treasury loans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So t, t, uh, certificate, certificate cer certificates of deposit. This is where you put a deposit, you lock it up for some period of time. Okay. Yep. Enter DeFi and basically distributed finance or DeFi. I, I don't know why it's an E. I can't remember. Decentralized finance, I guess. Yep, yep. Uh, decentralized finance is trying to mimic a lot of these financial products that have existed in the past. So certificates of deposit are a common one here where companies will allow you to deposit some of your crypto. That means they basically give you an IOU. They go do whatever they want with that crypto. You don't have it, which you have locked up whatever. And then they pay you like some amount of reward for having your crypto in this state. Okay. And there's another way you can do this too, is to just basically put your assets up as a, uh, as a store of value to borrow against, right? So you put up a certain amount of token and then they will give you, I don't know, maybe 50% of the value of that token. So if I have $15 billion in Shiba Inu token, I might be able to approach one of these guys and put up I don't know, maybe a, a million, two million, three million. You're not going to take fifteen billion and give you seven. Probably not. I, I mean, they probably don't even have that much whatever available. So they'll give you some sort of a loan. It might be a USD, USDT, or whatever. And the way that this works is, if that token drops, they'll liquidate it. Now that is a very risky proposition, I think, in a lot of these types of tokens. Are, so some are these DeFi are not subject to the one to 20 laws that the u.s treasury puts on the the banks in the united states or are they starting to be regulated yeah i mean i certainly think that the u.s government would prefer to regulate these things yeah. as well as stable coins i i'm not sure that a lot of them are being regulated and a lot of them are operating well outside the bounds of any regulatory authority such as the united states government i I mean, okay. a lot of these are, are outside the U.S. and will not even deal with U.S. customers. So, oh, okay. So there's a lot going on in this world that's outside of the norm, the majority population, and what they do. <laughs> and the majority. Most of the internet is like think of an iceberg. When you think about the internet, what you can see, the ten percent, is what we see. All right, like yeah. the, most of the good stuff 
you need a VPN, you need an onion router, you need yeah. <clears throat> you need to dig. I mean, the scams come in mainstream because somebody I got an email the other day where it was like, "Hey, can I? Would you, would you be into? I'm into IT security, and I'm very I really want people to be safe. Would you like me to show you how many of your passwords are on the dark web?" And I was like, I didn't respond to that email, but yes, I already knew. You that. just go to haveibeenpwned.com or type in the thing that you want to know. Yeah. No, cautiously <laughs> look at a couple of links. Yeah. 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 So, um, man, this was awesome. I don't know that. I think this was the right amount of talk talking about this subject. And I think moving on to level one and level two can be next podcast because we've been getting into multiple subjects per podcast. And I think that that is not to the benefit of our listener, you know, so <laughs> what did we cover today? Just kind of a review. Oh, we touched on a lot of topics, centralization versus decentralization, a little bit about how proof of stake works, how that might differ from proof of work, some amount of talking about Ethereum, and then talked a little bit about what it might mean to do decentralized finance and some of those vehicles and products that are being offered and how there might be some exposure for the companies that are dealing in I don't know, like some tokens, but I, I think that a lot of DeFi, just to finish up that talk, topic, yep. I, I don't know any DeFi system right now that will take Sheeb. I would, yeah, that was going to be my thing. It's like, nobody's really dealing in these crazy, they'd be crazy to be in these shit coins because there's never been any flow in a way that lets those actually be liquid assets. I, I think most DeFi tends to deal in the more, well-known projects. Okay. So I guess the last thing, since this is the third coin, what is your guys' opinion then on, I mean, it's so weird. This is such a weird realm because there's so many people involved. Like you said, you can make money on this because basically just because Grant has a really, you have a really knowledgeable um, inner working of how this stuff all works. And because we all come from where we come from and what we do believe in that, we like that idea of decentralization because we're sick of the government having so much power and the people who influence the government having all the power and the banks that influence those people, you know, we're sick of that. So we love the idea, but mainstream is all about just making money. And there's so much opportunity in all this stuff, regardless of the lack of decentralization that it's still I, the wild west, huh? I, I, I'd say, I don't know, things that drive value aren't necessarily like decentralization. Like what's going on in Ethereum, the reason there's been a huge run-up is there's a lot of stuff happening there. There's a, there's a lot of people who are programming and creating interesting stuff. So, I mean, as far as Ethereum goes, it, it's where it's at right now. I mean, I, I can't stress that enough. I mean, the yeah. reason Ethereum is high is because everybody's doing stuff on Ethereum. There's tons of tokens. There's tons of DeFi. There's tons and tons of stuff that's happening there. And that's why there's so much contention for blocks. And that's why gas fees are so high. Okay. And then we'll, so if you had Ethereum a while ago, <clears throat> uh, you know, you're, you made a lot of money if you sell some of it now. Um, yep. It may continue to go up, but you should definitely take profits. It wasn't that long ago you could buy Ethereum for 100 bucks, And just a few years before that, you could buy it for 10 so, um, yeah. it's what, uh, uh, we do not offer financial advice on this podcast. Absolutely so. not. Yeah. Yeah. Dan's, I, I, Dan's I mean, idea of selling is, uh, maybe take that with a grain of salt. Like, well, uh, yeah, definitely consult sold. your financial advisor. 
<laughs> or just do the opposite of what Grant says to do. Okay, so let's get back <laughs> onto that because that's actually pretty funny. Because like when yeah. I found out about Bitcoin, Bitcoin was 10 bucks and I bought some more three weeks later and it was 12 bucks and I was pissed off that it went up 20% because I'm like, hey, this shit's <laughs> useful. I can buy weed on the Silk Road with this stuff and now it's going to cost me 20% more. I told Grant about it. He's like, oh, Bitcoin. Yeah, I knew about that when it was 10 cents. I'm like, you motherfucker, you didn't tell me about it. It's, it was literally just a year before, but he just like, you know, it just, sure, I mean, it's it, and that's when we started, that's when we made the first joke about, Hey, okay. If you think it's stupid, I want to know about it right away. Cause I want to throw a hundred bucks at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, so that's a gambling thing. My buddy calls it the mush. And if right. anytime right. anybody makes a super confident statement about a probability in the future, you just mm -hmm. go against that. Cause most people are mostly wrong most of the time so the problem is grant's <laughs> intelligent and and he can he can work through these things and he can see you know from beginning to end the whole thing but he vastly underestimates the stupidity of everyone else well and geez, i mean don't we yeah. all <laughs> well yeah i mean i, I think i'm just an average schmuck people. but hey i'm gonna i'm gonna be the first to admit that i i missed the early phase of bitcoin because i was very focused on a different style of <sighs> <laughs> resolving these types of issues and it really i would say for a very long time bitcoin did not look like it was that interesting I, I mean lots of people looked at it i'll include myself and the rest of them and i'll be the first to admit i missed it i missed it early i, missed I mean the trade i of the think center. that's 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 key insight here is that we're still super early on all of this technology and there's going to be a ton of adaptions that we don't can't foresee in the next 10 years that could have immense implications on the way things are right now and could be totally new uh, opportunities for people who in the future right i mean like, <clears throat> I, I, I had a I had a tangent I wanted to pursue it, with, with your with your blessing on on this uh, topic of uh, of, of shit coins and I, without shilling I can I can leave out the name of the coin but there's a funny there's a humorous anecdote here. Grant told me about one of them and I I looked it up and it was just ridiculous. I mean absolutely ridiculous. And this is what I had to do to get it. Okay, so I I had to transfer money. No, you should totally on... tell. You should totally tell. Tell what, what it is. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, tell us what okay. It is. Yes. Some. Yeah, okay, I'll shill it. It's a buff Dogecoin. The symbol is Dogecoin. So right there, they're creating confusion with Dogecoin, whose symbol is Doge. Their symbol okay. is literally the word Dogecoin. What Their a bunch of assholes. symbol is the name of another one. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so creating confusion much? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so it gets worse. Okay, there's a, 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 a quint... Uh, a, I don't even know the right word. A, way too many gazillion... Uh, supply right something. so yeah, okay. you know you throw 100 bucks at it you get i mean seriously i i i have 13 and i have 14 billion of them right now okay awesome. so it's like the next shiba inu coin or whatever maybe or, or i just <laughs> lost you know five six hundred bucks whatever so <clears throat> anyway to get it i'd on ramp on ramp some money so step one on ramp money into coinbase right yep. and they're not going to let you take it out for a week until the ach transfer clear sure. things right oh, so yep. Might as well buy some USDC coin because that's an actual stable coin that's backed one-to-one -one, and you earn some fraction of interest, whatever. You might end up with a nickel or a dime if you put 5,000 bucks in there and leave it for a few weeks. So put it in the USDC. Wait till it clears. Um, at that point, then I purchased Dogecoin with a D-O-G-E symbol because Dogecoin um, 
it remains relatively worthless uh, all the time. I mean, it's it doesn't matter if it's you know five for a penny or so you're twenty three cents. Forty percent of your equity on it in an hour. You're not going to yeah, lose forty percent in an hour like you can with other coins. Yeah. And the whole purpose of buying the Dogecoin is everyone everyone accepts Dogecoin. It's I don't know why, but they do. So okay. I you know I I turned the, the the USDC into Dogecoin. And then transferred it out to Binance, not Binance US, which is op which is able to operate legally in the United States, but the shitty Binance, the one that operates in the rest of the world, the one that's responsible for the abomination that's known as Tether. So uh, send it over to Binance. Well, first I had to fire up my VPN so I could get to Binance because they're like, hey, we don't want any trouble with the Americans, so uh, yeah, you can't yeah. come here. Oh, but I'm from Sweden. Oh, okay, come on, Mr. Swede, we'll take your money, sucker. So <clears throat> get into Binance. Transfer my Doge over there. From there, I buy a Binance uh, coin, which is basically a clone of Ethereum. Like they straight up stole Ethereum code and ran it on their own servers. And they call it BNB. Okay. And Grant was telling me about that when it was twenty bucks, and uh, I don't know what it, what it is now. I think it was nine hundred or something crazy. It was nine hundred. I think it's down to like five hundred right now. I know. I just <laughs> totally got rooked on that deal. <clears throat> it was yeah. I just checked it the other day. It was. I'm like, can this be right? It's like five eighty six, and now it's five hundred. <clears throat> well, it was 900 when I bought it. Anyway, I bought the the Binance token, and then I had to convert it to uh, Smart Binance, which lets you do stuff on their chain. Okay. Then I got a Pancake Swap. Uh, went to the Pancake Swap website, downloaded Trust Wallet, and somehow linked Trust Wallet to Pancake Swap. Uh, transferred in my Binance uh, Smart Asset tokens, and then from there. Even on the pancake swap, which is the only place you can buy the buff Dogecoin, I think. Maybe that's changed. Uh, oh, yeah. Now you can get it a hot bit. Oh, that's interesting. That's an actual exchange, isn't it? Yeah, okay. a hot bit. Yeah, an actual exchange, right? <laughs> like, hey, I got some Dogecoin. Hey, you know, some hot, anyway. hot, hot bit's one of these ones we call unbanked exchanges. They have no on-ramp. They only deal in the fraud that is tethered. Right. Okay, so this this is good though because this this bodes well because uh, people who want to buy buff Dogecoin can get some tether, send it to Hotbit, and they don't have to go through the seven step fuckery that I did, which was um, it was really confusing. And I'm like, man, I'm not I'm not that dumb, and this is really hard. And then I thought, who's gonna be the bigger fool that buys this after me? And then I looked, and I was 116,000th person to do it, and I was like, wow, I, I really. I'm not that clever. Because uh, all these other people did it first. I checked back the next day. There's another thousand people that had, had bought buff Dogecoin. And now and how many? Now how many? I, I don't know. It's going to take me half an hour to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's gone down a bunch since when I bought it. So whatever. But they have this thing where uh, every transaction, 5% of it gets burned. And another 5% goes to people who have existing uh, wallet holders. So it's like a staking hybrid thing. All these things are scams. I do not recommend anybody buy any of this stuff. But if you do, uh, so I'm going to wait till basically up to sell paid five hundred dollars to like play in the rabbit holes. I said five hundred, but the truth is it was over eight hundred dollars. I, so I put eight hundred bucks like, into this. I'm going to yeah. spend eight hundred dollars to see if I can actually but, move this eight hundred dollars. So I don't sound like a total schmuck. Places. <laughs> what I did is I um, I had a thousand bucks in Coinbase and I bought okay. some uh, loop ring tokens. At a buck twelve, right after all the eight. Why did you buy Loop Ring? Because you told me about it. Because <laughs> you thought it was a bad idea. 
Well, so, no, the no, 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 this is a good idea. No, actually. no, wait, wait. So I, I, I'm constantly kind of trolling for stuff and I guess I'll sure. start talking about things that are kind of interesting in these, uh, in, in these podcasts, right? Mm-hmm. Loopring was interesting to me because the, it seems like there's a major company that is working with Loopring. There's some anecdotal evidence that's sort of been leaked in their GitHub repositories uh, that people have sleuthed out. And it looks like there's something interesting that's about to happen in, in Loopring. Oh. Now, what Loopring is what Loopring is doing is they are working on NFTs and a way to create NFTs on Ethereum where you do it on a side chain. So this is an interesting thing because it's a little bit germane to what we are trying to talk about today, which yeah. is how do you do things in a scalable fashion where the fees are lower or where the scalability is higher? So that's what Loopring is doing. They're essentially allowing you to mint NFTs on the Loopring sidechain. And then what you can do is you can take those NFTs that you've minted on Loopring and you can bring them back to mainnet whenever you want to. So you can bring them back to layer one. And that is a very, very interesting thing because right now to mint an NFT on Ethereum, it costs you anywhere from $20 to like $400 because of gas fees. So doing this on Loopring and sort of saying there's a migration path back, if you end up with something that is valuable, although I would consider any NFT that's minted to be very dubious in value. Which means we should all buy NFTs, right? Yeah, probably. (laughs) Remember when I first saw NFTs and I told you about them, Dan? I know, this is the dumbest thing in the world. Oh my God. And then it just blows up. It's like, I'll I'll just keep calling the dumbest stuff. And if I say it's dumb, it'll blow up. Did you see that? You heard it here first. If Francis is dumb, buy it. So Quentin Tarantino was in a podcast the other day where the podcast leader was like, oh, dude, if you could take that picture of uh, the bad motherfuckers pointing the gun and sell that as an NFT that came from you, because it's a proof of proof of ownership or not proof of ownership. It's proof of purchase. So people then can prove that they purchased it from Quentin Tarantino. So I saw that like podcast uh, view a couple of weeks ago. Well, Quentin liked that idea. So he went to try to do it. And his Miramax, dude, we're Miramax suing is you. like, yeah, no, you're not doing that. We <laughs> own those rights. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that would be interesting because a lot of time these rights have to be specifically enumerated, right? Mm-hmm. So who really had him a cease and desist. And he's like, no way, man, I'm doing this. So see, but that's see. the thing. That's, that's why streaming royalties sort of were a very interesting thing early on because, you know, streaming wasn't a big deal until it became a big deal. And it wasn't really written into a lot of contracts about who had the rights oh, to do streaming. So right. it may be a little bit of a legal gray area at this point, who has a right to mint an NFT of certain types of images. Now I would bet that whoever owns that movie and owns the right to it, has a right to any image derivative that was created from it. So it would not be dissimilar to, I don't know, trying to take a picture of one of the stills of uh, like a, you know, you know, like one of Tarantino's movies and then trying to sell, sell print it as it. a poster. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you would get away with that. And I would think that an NFT would be very similar to that in that sense. Although there's, when you're, when you look at what you're really buying as an NFT, not buying that image you're buying a pointer to that image and so from that perspective it might actually be okay yeah it's because a- you're just paying me money to say that you bought a version of this image from me no, no you didn't buy the no. image you bought a pointer okay. to the image buying a pointer, pointer to the image 
It's and, like going and, to Hollywood and buying those maps to the stars homes. It's like, oh my gosh, it's even worse than that. It's a <laughs> like literally. I, I don't think a lot of people understand what a pointer is. That's kind of a computer science term, but it, it's it's like a URL to an image that exists somewhere, and that could be some server. It could be a BitTorrent file. It could be an IPFS file. All of these technologies are sort of you know good topic of discussion for later. But I would say that Tarantino probably could get away with doing this and if it went to court he'd probably win now i'm not a lawyer so somebody else that's better on this stuff you can check me but i don't think he's actually selling the rights to anything and if he minted an nft yeah okay there's no rights conveyed and there probably aren't any rights trampled on by doing that it would be uh sort of more of like a, a cool tarantino memorabilia thing if he did it yeah no, and he might be just selling, like, the suggestion was that, look, you sell this, and then every person who buys it for, obviously, tens of thousands of dollars gets to come to dinner at your mansion once a year. And so they might be buying that part of the, the thing from him, and the rest is just a novelty part of it. So I don't I th I, I, I would I would encourage him to try it because it would yeah. be very interesting in court to find out what an NFT really is and then oh, uh, yeah, whether no no, whether they think eventually, huh? w whether whether the courts think minting an NFT is actually stepping on the digital rights of anyone. I think it probably isn't. That's just my <clears throat> technical Tarantino's uh, attorney is <clears throat> pretty confident. He says uh, Miramax is dead wrong and they're not backing down so this this should be interesting to watch yeah. oh they are doing it tarantino's yeah, yeah. minting nfts it, his attorney brian friedman said uh on, on wednesday miramax is wrong plain and simple oh cool so, well then i i i, I didn't even know i there we go. i'm right yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you were right I all think, right like, well, guys, this was awesome i think some yeah. insight for, from from this conversation is that you guys got to feel feel free to bring in your weird stories because this People love to hear this stuff. I yeah, mean, I'm, and don't I'm, I'm buy kidding. Buff Dogecoin or uh, Floki Eno because I'm not shilling those. These guys and I don't advise yeah. anybody just, <laughs> financially just pay or otherwise. money instead. Yeah, yeah. If somebody yeah, wants to, yeah, just, just give me the money and I won't digital shill Digital tip jar. We have the third coin digital chip tip Ooh, jar yeah, coming nice. soon. That Great. We'll so. set up a Bitcoin address on it on the, or the thirdcoin.com uh, website. Yeah, there we go. So yeah. uh, the next time I think we will talk about, because I have a question that I'm going to want to ask is like, well, how can I get in on some of these technologies that are being developed, these second layer technologies? Do I have to invest in a company? Is there a token I buy? How do I do that? And let's talk about uh, first and second layer next time. Hey, that was the Third Coin Podcast, where we talk about the past, present, and future of blockchain, cryptocurrency, and Web3 technology. If you learned something new today, tell us in the comments. If you need a different question answered, ask us in our social media anywhere at The Third Coin. Please like and follow us for the latest somewhat biased information on YouTube and podcasts everywhere.